Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in scripture and in our lives. I am Lindsay Paris Lopez, writer for the Raven Review, aspiring peacemaker and aspiring follower of Jesus. And I am Adam Erickson, writer at the Raven Review and pastor in the United Church of Christ. This is episode 13 for the sixth Sunday of Epiphany. In this episode, we discuss Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. In Jesus Unmasked, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses that obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear, that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the new revised standard version of the Bible, and we use the common lectionary. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Adam. How are How, you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Awesome. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm doing all right, too. And uh, last episode, I said that you were especially blessed because uh, we were doing this from a distance. You are in the Chicago area and I'm in the Portland area and I had worked out and I didn't shower. And so you were blessed because you didn't have to smell my stinkiness. But Am I to, blessed again? Today I took a shower. Oh, well. So it wouldn't really matter. <laughs> no, probably not. And, uh, you know, I'm glad it's, that it we... matters for me because I don't have to smell my own stench. So that's good. Well, then you're blessed today. You're the I one am who's blessed, blessed today. Yes. So, and, and I'm blessed too. Um, <laughs> We're all blessed. Oh, that's fantastic. So uh, today we are continuing with the Sermon on the Mount, and it just, Jesus just gets, like, tougher and tougher as the Sermon on the Mount goes on. I was thinking the same thing. It's just getting harder and harder um, and more sobering. So it's tough. We've got some stuff in here about anger and adultery and divorce and all of the fun stuff that we love to talk about in church. So mm -hmm. we yeah. just, uh, should we just read it? <laughs> I think we should just dive right. on in. It's, it's kind of a long one. So uh, stick with me here. Matthew chapter five, 21 through 37. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vow you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Mm. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is this is difficult. Jesus takes our standards of of morality or, you know, he takes what we consider enough to be good and just heightens it to such an extreme level. I mean, there are there are interpretations of this that say that Jesus was being too hard on purpose to make it absolutely impossible so that we would have to rely on God's grace. We do have to rely on God's grace. And I think this it that Jesus's standards are so high that we will inevitably fall short. And yet I think we have to take Jesus pretty seriously here. You know, I'm not, I'm not convinced by the interpretation that this is just so far above our heads that we shouldn't even try. I think that that's a very, that's a mistake and that lets us off the hook too easily. Yes. I do wonder sometimes though, if Jesus falls into his own trap with this teaching, like does Jesus even live up to this? For example, Jesus says, uh, you should not even be angry with someone. And right. the Gospels well, are full of Jesus being angry. Absolutely. And he, says, and he says, don't call anybody a fool. But he's constant. He says fool. He calls his disciples fools. <laughs> yes, he does. He does. And right? he, I mean, and and vipers. I know that John the Baptist says that, but I'm pretty Jesus sure Jesus also calls Jesus says that. Pharisees vipers. Yeah. And yeah. You, like you, I guess you like some people try to say that, you know, Jesus wasn't angry at the temple uh, when he went there and shut it down and made a whip and stuff. And he was just like acting out um, a, like a theater. It was like theatrical. <laughs> but I'm not I don't know if I'm con fully convinced by that uh, interpretation of what Jesus does at the temple. I think it takes part of his humanity out to say that he wasn't oh he was just totally calm and peaceful during that moment and wasn't <laughs> angry at all at the system that right oh it that put people into religious system 
that uh, put people into even more poverty than they already were. And he was fine with it. He was just like being theatrical to make a point. I don't know. I just, I, I, I think no, that Jesus, I, I I think Jesus think showed anger there and in other places too. And so what do we do with this Sermon on the Mount when Jesus calls people fools and shows some anger every once in a while? Right. Well, I know that we'll get back to the temple in another episode. When we get to that point, we are going to stress that Jesus was not being violent toward human beings. But you can be angry without being violent toward human beings. Yes. And I think the key point to this anger stuff that Jesus is getting at is what to do with your anger. And he gives you a prescription here for how to manage something that I think is natural. Uh, sometimes you just get angry at things that happen. I get in, I, sometimes I get angry with uh, people who are the closest to me. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? Family oh, yes. members, uh, spouse, uh, people that I work with. Never you, Lindsay, of course. Never oh. get angry with you. But uh, what do you do with that anger? I am going through a spiritual process right now. Uh, maybe maybe it's a lifelong spiritual process of learning what to do with my anger so that it doesn't so that it so that it's productive. Right. right. Um, right. Usually what I do with my anger is I tend to run away from conflicts. Mm. I tend to shut down and I just get more and more resentful uh, about what's happening. And that's not healthy. It's not right. good. What's much better, it's taken me years of therapy to figure this out, is to do what Jesus actually says to do in this passage, which is, hey, if you if something's going wrong in your life and you're on your way to the temple to make a sacrifice, to make things right with God, forget about it. Mm -hmm. Go to whoever it is that you have an issue with and talk with them. Bring it mm -hmm. up to them. Right, right. <laughs> right? And, and do it in a way where you're not, where, where there is a possibility for reconciliation. So don't go in guns a-blazing with the person that you're upset with. Go in uh, hoping for some kind of reconciliation, either saying stuff like, um, hey, I remember what you said uh, the other day about this, and it kind of hurt, and I was wondering if we could talk about it. <laughs> right, right. You know, so yeah. that's, that's one way that I've learned to work through my anger, uh, not to avoid it, but to work through it. And maybe it takes a couple of days to work through it so that you can uh, go in with some kind of calmness into these conversations. But Jesus says that this, our relationships with our fellow human beings are so important. They're even more important than going to the temple and making a sacrifice to God. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, when you, when we talk about how Jesus can be angry without being violent, I think that Jesus can, and I think that Jesus models it for us, but it is very hard to be angry without that anger escalating into some kind of violence. It might not be physical, but, you know, but when resentments build, we tend to hurt people more than, um, I mean, no... There's no degree of hurting people that is necessary, but we tend to hurt people when we're resentful 
And, and yeah. And I and, think that Jesus is trying to steer us away from that. Yes. And Jesus says, go directly to the person you have an issue with, yes. which is really important so that you avoid scapegoating the person yes. that you have an issue with. Because usually what ends up happening is you'll, I will go to someone else and say, hey, hey, this person did this thing to me. Isn't that person such a jerk? And that person will say, oh, yeah, such a jerk. And then we'll start forming a uh, a mob of accusation against this person, mm-hmm. and it and it makes me feel really good that somebody agrees with me, but it does not solve the problem. Right, right, and I mean, I mean, what my translation, what our translation actually says is, "Come to terms quickly with your accuser," and um, so. Jesus doesn't actually say, "Come to terms with one the one who." who you have an issue with, Jesus actually says, come to terms with your accuser. And that involves coming to terms with someone who has something against you and uh, actually going and asking for forgiveness. And I think what many of us tend to do when we have an accuser, sometimes we know that we're in the wrong, but sometimes we don't, and we don't consider it from the other perspective. And if we feel if we feel attacked we get defensive and we tend to attack back i think jesus is you know telling us to at least try to address our own blind spots the logs in our own eye and i mean that can be really really hard to do jesus is telling us to face where we might have hurt people and to go and at least try for reconciliation with them and i don't think it's so much that he's telling us to prioritize that above God, at, above our relationship with God, as telling us that it's the same thing. It's not a matter of priorities. Being right with God is the same as being right with your neighbor, because we are all made in the image of God, and we are we are all beloved of God, and we can't love God without loving our neighbor, and we can't ask forgiveness of God without recognizing where we need forgiveness from our fellow human beings. And um, honestly, that's so hard. That is so hard to face up to things and, and ask forgiveness. And I'm sure Jesus also means it the other way around. Like if we're resent, if we're angry with someone, we should try to talk to that person without being confrontational. But I think it's hard either way, really. Yes, absolutely. The other interesting thing about this is that Jesus kind of relativizes the the temple and the sacrifices there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So if you go and make reconciliation with somebody who accuses you or that you're angry with, uh, then you have no need to go to the temple, (laughs) (laughs) right? You're kind of done. It's good. Uh, What does this mean in, in Christian practice today? This would be akin to celebrating the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So you come together at mm-hmm. the Lord's Supper and you may have a conflict with someone who's coming there uh, mm-hmm. with you in the church, right? But you come and all of those conflicts are washed away as you commune together with uh, Jesus. Mm. Well, that makes me feel like 
maybe it would be a good thing to alter the structure of communion so it's not walking up to an altar or in some churches they bring it to you in the pews but i don't know if if the pews were in a circle and you know you could actually it actually seemed like more of an interaction with your fellow parishioners as well i don't know if that would be a good thing but that's neither here nor there because we're not changing the church structure anytime soon, but I don't know. Maybe we should. Well, I'm in maybe the UCC, should... so we can change whatever we want. So uh, <laughs> the Episcopalians uh, have have more uh, obstacles in the way, maybe, I guess. But I, I guess I yeah. I love the Episcopal Church. That's not just it's the obligatory so thing, yes. but it's um, I really do love high Episcopal Church format, but um you know, maybe sometime we could sit in a circle and feel the connection to our neighbor as, as much as to God and recognize that it's the same thing. So. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Uh, let's go to everybody's favorite topic. I can't believe I set it up that way. <laughs> Adultery. Um, <laughs> yeah, not so much my favorite topic, but let's discuss it anyway, because here it is. Oh, my goodness. You have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I guess you're off the hook. <laughs> Congratulations, women. <laughs> well, I have I we I have some issues with the way that Matthew portrays jesus here uh, talking about adultery and men and women and uh what do you think about that Lindsay? i have some issues too um yeah, yeah i there there are things i like about this and i'll i'll get to them after we discuss our issues but you know it it's entirely possible for a woman to look at a man with lust in her heart and really? you know Yes, <laughs> yes, that is. But it doesn't matter, according to Jesus, in in this passage, I guess. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it definitely, <laughs> I think it definitely matters. Um, okay, gotcha. You know, I I think that there's, um, I think that gender neutral language would have, or, sorry, gender inclusive language, I think would have would have been a better way to go, but although. Although this does place all of the responsibility on men, um, what I do like about it is that it basically says, in, instead of telling a woman to dress differently, instead of putting the onus on the woman to dress for the benefit of men's souls, which I guess would mean more more covering, I guess, um, it places the responsibility on the man. So today, you know, today we have people telling women that they need to be more modest in how they dress, that, you know, it's sinful to show too much of any part. And because I mean, it would is, be your fault if you enticed a man. Exactly. And this is telling men, no. It's not on her. If you're looking at her in the wrong way, pluck your eyes out. And, you know, you know, I do kind of like that. Although if it put women in a position of responsibility, too, then maybe 
then maybe it wouldn't. Um, you know, if our culture was set up from the beginning to put responsibility on men and women equally, then maybe the burden of having to dress modestly wouldn't fall so heavily on the women. I mean, even though, yeah, even though this is saying it's up to the men to pluck out their eyes and throw them away, it's still saying that women are temptations to men and not giving, you know, it's still portraying women as the temptation. And and, um, so I have a bit of an issue with that. Yeah, yeah. But I think your other point is well taken because Jesus obviously lives in a patriarchal society. And Mm -hmm. in that society, basically, you can do whatever you want (laughs) if you're a man. (laughs) Right. But Jesus is saying, no, you need to take responsibility for this. And so he's in this, he's subverting the patriarchal society that he lives in, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. And yes, there's a there's a context because I tend to think if if women and men were were treated equally from the beginning. But but I mean, I'm looking at the Bible in past tense and it's in a present tense in a context that's already there. And the burden is already falling on women. So in that context, telling men to take their responsibility makes all the sense in the world. But yeah, I mean, I mean, pluck out your eyes. That's you you don't see a lot of biblical literalists taking that one literally, do you? Not at all. No, <laughs> no. But um, you know, I read I read something interesting that the idea of plucking out your eyes to avoid going to hell, the idea that only the unblemished can get into heaven, and here it's telling you, it's better for you to get a little messy, to be imperfect, rather than harm another person, like as acting on lust would do. And, um, you know, it's, it's turning heaven from a place of, of reward for personal piety to a place of this is what you can enjoy when you are responsible, even at the point of risk to yourself. And I believe in universal salvation, but I do, but I also believe that, you know, the kingdom of God is among us when we when we follow Jesus and yes yes I think that's such an important point uh because the word for hell the original word for hell that Jesus uses here is Gehenna Mm -hmm. and Gehenna was a literal place uh where ancient kings of Israel practiced child sacrifice Mm -hmm. uh and that's hell uh there are also uh um evidence that it may have been a garbage dump where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth by the dogs that would go out there and it was it was constantly burning uh so this is a place here on earth that is hell and it's a way of life that sacrifices other people for your own getting rid of your own anxiety because you think maybe the gods want it or something Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what hell is it's about our it's it's not about primarily about some place you go after you die. Right. It's about how you live your life in relationship right now with people. Mm-hmm. So you do these things that Jesus is talking about and you are going to place yourself in hell because your yeah. relationships are going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. It's the end result of human violence and Jesus is showing us 
where that violence or where that exploitation or where that yes. me against you instead of me with you, he's, he's showing the beginning and the end of that. He doesn't yes. show the middle where things escalate and get out of control, but he shows the beginning and the end. And that's why, that's why anger can be dangerous. And that's why lust can be dangerous. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. the middle is go to the person and, deal with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> right because That's, because yeah. if you don't it gets out of control yes, yes and yeah and you you put yourself and others in the place of hell when you when it gets out of control mm-hmm. now let's go to the second favorite topic that everybody has divorce yeah i'll just say i'll just say point blank i do not like this passage yeah. um <laughs> i'll be i'll be that blunt about it um, okay tell us why Lindsay. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him come and give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. How does a man divorcing his wife have the power to not only hurt her, cast her aside, and make her life difficult, make her life hell, in a place where it was hard for women to make a living, how how does he have not only that power, but the power over her morality to make her the one in the wrong, to make her someone who commits adultery? And, and, then, and then it says, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, I mean, what relief does that woman who's been divorced even have if she has no chance of remarriage through no fault of her own? Because, I mean, to me, this is just really a blind side of the times. And it's hard for me to think that Jesus actually said this. I think that Jesus... The only way I can somewhat reconcile it is that Jesus spoke against divorce and Matthew processed it through his own flawed male brain, and this is what came out. <laughs> the flawed male brain. I think that's the title of the episode. Nicely done. I love that. Yeah, the well, only the only um, way that I can redeem it at all is to think, why would, as you said, why would Jesus teach against getting a divorce in the first place? And I, you know, in a in that culture, a patriarchal culture, if you divorce, if a man divorces his wife, his wife is left destitute uh, without somebody to care for her, especially if she doesn't have a son. And by then, she's probably scapegoated in the family and nobody cares about her. And she's left to, to either live in poverty or try to make a living for herself through prostitution and make money that way. Uh, so... It's a it's a different time. Uh, and today, women, thank God, have many more opportunities uh, after a divorce. But still, a divorce is like a sign that things have gone wrong in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not I don't know. It's not so much something to be it's it, I've never been through one. Thank God. But uh, it's I would imagine everybody who has uh, it's not fun. <laughs> it's painful yeah. Uh, yeah. to work through it. So, um, but thank God today, women have many more opportunities than they did in the first century. So I think that's why Jesus, it, it, however Matthew took it, I think that's why Jesus 
probably taught against divorcing a woman because he cares about women. He doesn't want yes. them to be left out on the street uh, having to make money in ways that are harmful to their bodies and right. objectify them uh, mm -hmm. and allows men to objectify them. So, uh, I, yeah, no, I, I absolutely am with you there. I think that Jesus's, um, Jesus's stance against divorce was about, was about, you know, his love for women and protecting women, protecting protecting those who are vulnerable. I think that there is a cautionary tale in the way Matthew presents this in how our concern for the vulnerable can come out condescending and can take away the agency. You know, yeah. we can recognize yeah. vulnerability without, without dehumanizing or saying because we're not vulnerable, we're we're more than. Um, and I think Matthew falls into a trap of saying, we got to protect women because, you know, if we don't protect them, we we not only, you know, I, I feel like he he could be trying to come from from a good place or an honorable place, but is still not really getting that women are full equals to men. And, you know, when we go in with a position of we're going to help you, we have to be very careful because we should be helping people, but we should not be, we should not be condescending to people or patronizing them or thinking ourselves above because we're in a position where we could either help or harm, but we're in a position where we could have some power. If we are in that position, I think that's a sign that things have gone wrong in the world in the first place. And, you know, our job is to help, but it's also to, you know, our help needs to be in recognition of the fact that when things are right, when things are set right, there is no above or below and we are fully equal. Um, yeah. Whenever I get into this mindset that, um, and it's usually unconscious, but whenever I get into the mindset of, I know what's best for you and you just need to be more like me, that's when I know that I'm uh, ra raising myself above the person that I may be trying to help, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Uh, mm -hmm. Because it's not relational, it's forced on another person. And this can happen on uh, individuals when we're uh, working for justice and also like uh, the whole term uh, on a national level, the whole term of nation building that the United States has been in for the last yeah. 20 years or all of our history. <laughs> I know. As, as if um, we're the model nation to, yes. to impose everybody, on others. We everybody are... needs to be like us, and then the world will just be a, so much of a better place. And that oh mentality is it seeps into I, all of us. Well, I shouldn't say all of us, but me individually and mm -hmm. also as, as a nation, too. So it's always something to kind of resist uh, and transform yeah. by not imposing what we think is best on others, but by being in relationship with others and um, working out what is best with others from their point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, going into relationship is is absolutely critical. I think that's the key. I think that's how we how we understand our mutual human humanity best. And I mean, this is what Jesus is telling us to do all the way through the scriptures. And this is what Jesus models to us by doing 
himself by coming into relationship with us. Let's do the final passage is about oaths and oaths taking. And this is just also really interesting because Jesus continues to relativize religion, uh, God. Um, I'm not exactly sure how to do this, but he says, uh, you have heard it said, do not swear falsely by the Lord. And then Jesus says, just don't even swear by the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't swear, swear by at heaven all. or the earth. Just say yes, yes, or no, no, and do it. <laughs> well, do not put your relationship with God over your relationship with yes. fellow human beings. Because when you do that, you don't know what you're doing. Because the way to love God is to love your neighbor. Yes. And when you're not loving your neighbor, you're not loving God. And when you're saying, God, it, you know, my relationship with God is what matters above all else. And I can, it doesn't really matter if I'm a bad person to other people. Nobody thinks like that. But, you know, you know, if you put your relationship with God so far above your relationship with humanity, you're hurting God. Yes. And what God does is come among the most marginalized of humanity and get killed in the name of God. And, and so, you know, Jesus's whole life is showing us that, that that's not the way, you know, to have another level, a higher level of sincerity reserved for God alone and to think it's less important to have that level with sincerity with your fellow human beings is getting everything wrong. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Jesus is pushing here for a sense of authenticity uh, mm -hmm. with our fellow human beings, as you say. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just really interesting to me that Jesus kind of puts God on the back burner in this. And Yes, I, I love what you're saying that uh, the way that we love God is by loving our fellow human beings. But Jesus is constantly like, yeah, don't worry about going to the temple to make sacrifice. Go to your fellow human beings. And yeah, quit swearing by God because that doesn't mean anything. And what really matters is how you treat your fellow human beings. It's just really like Jesus. I don't know. It's I don't know how to what, how to make sense of it, but he's just kind of like. Mm -hmm. Putting God on the back burner. It's weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But in the parables, when he when he talks about whatever you did to the least of these, you, yes. do, you do to me. And um, it's not so much bringing God backward as, as drawing people forward. Yes. Or, I mean, collapsing the distance between them all together. He does that in his in his life, in his human body, and he shows us that we need to do the same thing. And um, we cannot love God without loving our neighbor. And um, yeah. That's how you do it. That's so how you do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Lindsay. This was tough. But uh, I, was, I think we got some good stuff. So. I think we did. I, and I wonder what all of you think. Um, you know, please feel free to 
please feel free to comment. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we'd love to know what you think about this difficult passage. And uh, that's it for today, friends. I am Adam. And I'm Lindsay. And Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you like this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies, because God calls us to love them too.